You're listening to GP Works, the podcast for and about general practice from the Irish College of General Practitioners. I'm Aileen O'Mara, and in this episode, we have a recording from the press conference to launch the college's new guide for members to recognise and advise patients who are experiencing domestic abuse violence in their lives. Dr. Felma Harkins, the Chair of Quality, Safety and Standards for the Irish College of General Practitioners, is the first voice you'll hear. Thank you all for coming. Thank you, Minister, and our colleagues and friends who have come here to help us launch this guide. Very important guide from the ICGP, the Domestic Violence and Abuse Recognition and Management of General Practice. I want to thank the authors, Anne-Marie Nocton, Orna Hurley and Amy O'Farrell, and Dr Fiona Chensey, Dr Noella Lachlan and Dr Siobhan O'Brien-Green. So why this guide? Well, we know that domestic violence is underdiagnosed and undertreated in general practice. Improving the detection and management can have huge and enormous potential to improve the lives of victims and their families, and especially children. And we believe that GPs are ideally placed to deliver this service. So, what do we mean by domestic violence and abuse? It may be psychological, physical, sexual, financial and emotional. And I think the statistics speak for themselves. Some 15% of women and 6% of men have experienced domestic violence and abuse at some time in their lives. At least one in seven homicides globally and one in three female homicides are perpetrated by an intimate partner. On average, high-risk victims wait 2.3 years to report or to seek help for their abuse and medium-risk wait three years. The repeat, the rate of, uh, repeat rate of victimisation is high. And I think what many people don't realise is that domestic violence and abuse place a considerable health burden on people. So patients, it's a key cause of morbidity, cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes, (coughs) depression, anxiety, and of course increased mortality. And interestingly, abused women visit their GPs twice as much as their non-abused cohorts, particularly with social problems, substance abuse and reproductive health problems. They're twice as likely to need treatment and they're 10 times more likely to end up being hospitalised. So what do we mean by it? Well, (coughs) I'm going to take a minute, even though I know Fintan will be saying, hurry up, but I'm actually going to take a minute just to outline this, um, because I am. Physical abuse means slapping, hitting, kicking, beating and strangulation. What we mean by sexual abuse is assaults that have explicit content and include many forms, including rape. Sexually harassing people, controlling their reproductive choices, sexually exploiting, being in, asking, making people be involved in producing pornographic material, watching pornographic, rejecting sex and intimacy for a partner withholds that intimacy from their partner. And of course, the ultimate, it can lead to murder or homicide. What do we mean by emotional <coughs> and psychological abuse? Insults, belittling, constant humiliation, excessive possessiveness, isolation from family or friends, excessive checking up on, blaming the victim, threatening children, um, making threats of self-harm. So financial and social abuse, with holding economic resources such as money and credit cards, stealing from or defrauding a partner, locking doors to prevent the victim leaving the house, isolating them from friends and family, limiting access to transport, and coercive control, persistent and deliberate pattern of behaviour by a partner or ex-partner designed to achieve obedience and create fear. And I've read those out because they're such a shocking catalogue. And if we think, we've looked at the statistics, that many of our patients are experiencing this on a daily basis. And I think that is a very sobering thought. We can do more. And we really have to do more. 70% of, of victims of 
um, of, of, of DVA have said that they are comfortable and trust that their GP if as somebody whom they would disclose the abuse to. And I think that's a very important statistic. So what can we do? Well, what we can do is, first of all, is recognise it. Know the signs, indications and sequelae of abuse. Ask the simple questions, simple, gentle, probing questions. How are things at home? Make the inquiry alone, sensitively and in a private way. Make sure there's nobody listening. Respond. Listen. Inquire about their needs. Validate the, the uh, history. Enhance security and support the person. Risk assess. Is the abuse getting worse? Is there any immediate danger? Do we need to contact the Gardaí for safety planning? If there are children, uh, vulnerable children or vulnerable adults, do we need to apply the safeguarding referral mechanism? Record. Keep records. Keep a detailed record with uh, consent. Refer. Support them by helping them with information, but also refer to the specialist uh, service agencies such as Women's Aid and Social Support. And review. Ensure that they are encouraged to come back for follow-up. We had a webinar two weeks ago, which uh, was launched um, in, in conjunction with the launch. And there were over a thousand GPs and practice nurses who, who, who signed into that. And I think what was really important coming from that was the note of positivity and hope and the fact that we can do things. <coughs> it also gave us an understanding of the huge complexity of this issue. And also, I think this guide will facilitate GPs to understand that this is not likely to be one event that you're dealing with with the patient, but it will be a process. And to understand that that journey will be there and hopefully that we will have the privilege to travel that journey with the patient until they reach safe harbour and can live safe and healthy lives. Thank you. Thank you, Velma. I would now like to call on Minister Helen McEntee, Thank Minister you. for Justice, to formally launch the ICGP Domestic Violence Quick Reference Guide. Thank you. Well, uh, I might sit down if that's okay. Um, well, look, thank you so much for inviting me here to um, this launch. This is, I think, such a positive day um, and such a welcome document. Uh, and I really want to acknowledge all of those who have been uh, involved and who have been driving this over. I know what has been a number of years. Um, I, I've just come from the launch of the Rahuma report um, for 2021. This is a service that provides support for women who were and are involved in prostitution, who are involved uh, in sexual exploitation. And what they have clearly pointed out is that in the last year and a half, uh, even through COVID, where we were in lockdown and where we assume everyone was at home and safe, uh, that women weren't really and that their need uh, for their services has increased. And I have no doubt that as general practitioners, um, many of you have seen that need increase and have probably seen um, different types of scenarios uh, arise in the last year and a half. And it has really been a difficult time for people. So this document is so welcome. Um, GPs are not only the initial point of contact when it comes to medical advice, but you're so often asked to spot the signs of many, many other things. Uh, and domestic violence is no different. You go to great lengths every day to help men, women, children, families um, to provide that listening ear, that medical support, but also uh, that follow-on support. And it's so often the case that people come into your surgery 
not intending to say anything, in fact, intending to hide uh, whatever they can. Uh, and that's why it's so important that this guide gives, um, I suppose, a, a general guide as to how to maybe tease that out of people, as to how you can support someone, encourage someone and do it in the right way, know how to ask the right questions. And uh, I, I would list out again that the lives, which is the listen, inquire, validate, enhance safety and support. Uh, and it's a very simple word. It's five very simple um, phrases, but they are absolutely vital and, and can be life-changing for the people that you are engaging with. Um, I suppose what's important too is that it's a uniform approach across the country. And it's like anything, um, when I'm looking at the services that we support through the Department of Justice, at the moment it supports services for victims of crime. In the next few weeks and months, we will be taking on all of the services for domestic and sexual violence. And what's really important to me is that no matter where you are in the country, no matter who you turn to, that you have that same response, that same level of support and that same level of help. So I hope and I believe, I really do believe that this guide will be such a useful tool for GPs right across the country to make sure that no matter who you're with and where you are, that you get that same response and that same level of support uh, and engagement. And I know that so many GPs are already doing this and I think that this will only uh, enhance so much of that work. Um, maybe just in terms of the bigger picture, I suppose so much of the work that I've been doing as Minister for Justice, um, I have used... Um, the victim, and I say use the victim, the, the, the voice of the victim uh, and the need to put the victim at the very centre of everything that we do, that has been the cornerstone of my thinking and anything that I've been doing when it comes to domestic and sexual violence. Um, and it's about supporting the individual to come forward, to make sure that when they do come forward, they know that they will be listened to, that they'll be supported, that they'll be protected, that the services will be there to help them. But it's also really important that the individuals that a victim talks to be it directly to Angar the Shiakana and then as they go through the criminal justice system, which at the moment is not a very warm or welcoming place to people and we're working to change that, but also if they go into their GP's surgery, uh, if they're going about their daily lives, be it the people that they work with, that's the rest of the population, which we might often refer to as bystanders, that everybody plays a part and has a role in calling out domestic and sexual violence and coming forward and trying to offer that bit of help. Uh, so the, two, the, the new third national strategy that we'll be launching uh, in the next few weeks, it's based on four key pillars of the Istanbul Convention protection, or Prevention, Protection, Prosecution and Policy Coordination. Um, and in particular, we will be focusing a huge amount on the first pillar, and that is prevention uh, and that is obviously about uh, engaging at an early age with our young children with boys in particular I have to say because we know so much of this uh, is male uh, violence against women or, or abuse um, but also that we are engaging with the wider society and population and we're making sure that no matter who a person comes into contact that we're all equipped to be able to ask the right questions to be able to spot the signs uh, and to be able to, to help someone in whatever way that we can and a lot of that's about changing attitudes it's about changing approaches I mean it's only in recent years that we have domestic violence legislation it's only in recent years that we've really focused and, and acknowledged that this is such a massive of issue that impacts people in every city, in every town, uh, in every county, in our village. And I'm really glad that you outlined all of the, the possible uh, elements of this because when people hear about domestic violence, they often just think physical, they think of bruises, they think of, of the impact that it has in a physical way, but it's psychological, it's emotional, it's financial, it's coercive control, it's all of these things. So it's really important that this guide covers that as well. 
Uh, the third national strategy, as I've mentioned, uh, there will be a zero tolerance approach. Uh, and I know that that's uh, something that many people support. It's a high bar to set, but I don't think we can set ourselves any lower of a bar. And that's zero tolerance of any kind of domestic, sexual or gender based violence in our society. Um, just to pick out maybe two of the objectives um, included in it, and we have quite a number of actions in it, as was pointed out to me earlier. Um, firstly, around ensuring the availability of accessible quality specialist and community based services across the state so that people who experience any form of violence have the right to an integrated service uh, and this is where so many of our GPs come into play here as well you are at the heart of our community you are you know as was mentioned you are the, pe the, the person and the people that communities trust uh, and making sure that you have that connection within the community and those integrated services is absolutely vital and, and we will be working with you to develop that uh, secondly, ensuring a victim-survivor-centred wraparound service through the creation of a clear integrated local pathways for adults and victims. Uh, and I spoke to some of the team beforehand about the development of our new agency. This will be the first ever statutory agency with sole responsibility for domestic and sexual violence. And while it will be responsible for delivery of the new strategy, it will be responsible for the delivery of refuge and accommodation and those services. Um, it will also be responsible for making sure that at a local level we have an integrated pathway Way that all of these services and supports are linking up and we'll develop and be developing that over the next few months um, and we'll hope to work closely with the, the Irish College of General Practitioners and many other organisations to make sure that we have all of that uh, right uh, and I suppose that it works in the way that it should. Um, finally, just uh, I suppose a lot of what we're doing in terms of supporting victims it's about the supports but it's also about making sure that the laws are there and that they're strong uh, and that people know about them as well so we have a, a huge legislative program uh, everything from building on the domestic violence act and the, the criminal law sexual offenses act which were enacted in recent years uh, which introduced course of control and other other uh, crimes um, for the first time which i think are hugely um hugely important um but also coco's law which focuses on uh, online intimate images and the sharing of on online intimate images is a huge huge problem in particular for younger people uh when it comes to how they engage with each other online uh, we will have new legislation around non-fatal strangulation stalking uh, expanding on our harassment laws as well uh, and much much more so there's so much happening in this space um but to have the support and I suppose the work being done here already by uh, our GPs and by our general practitioners, uh, it is hugely welcome um, and I just want to thank you sincerely for all of your work uh, and to say that I really look forward to working with you um, in making sure that I suppose as many people benefit from this as possible but in the many other ways that I've said I hope to work with you now in the next few months and, and years uh, to make sure that our strategy is the most ambitious today, the most most of all, that the most amount of people can benefit from it, um, because as I've said, this is this is an issue that I think, unfortunately, we look back on in years and ask ourselves how we let it go go on for as long as we did. But I think that time has changed. I think there has been a sea change, and I think we are all all making this moment count. So thank you very much for asking me to be here, and well done again today. Many thanks, Minister. Uh, at this point, I'd now like to invite Dr. Noreen O'Hurley, who is the Assistant Medical Director and Director of Women's Health at the ICGP, to speak to you now. Thank you, Fenton. And thank you, everyone, for being here today, including you, Minister, for um, highlighting the guide so that we can ensure that um, everyone is aware of it. So the GP practice team has an important role to play in providing support for people suffering with domestic violence and abuse. Um, we know that G people see GPs as trusted healthcare professionals, um, GPs are recognised as providing continuity of care 
Um, if you come to your GP and you don't disclose today, you can come back in a, few, a week and, and maybe try again. Uh, provide they, GPs are accessible. Uh, we see people in crisis every day of the week and sometimes they're willing to disclose uh, the underlying cause and other times they're not, but we're the, always there to support them. And patients know that GPs will respond in a supportive and empathetic way and we, support, we, we encourage this in the guide, a non-judgmental, empathetic approach. We want we, we will help patients to identify appropriate supports and other agencies which are critical in the management of domestic violence and abuse and we are very grateful for all those supportive organisations who are the real experts in the management of domestic violence and abuse. Um, GPs can risk assess and provide a safety plan and they provide an opportunity to record the sequelae of the abuse that has occurred. And finally, they will continue to support patients if not if they are not ready to disclose. And this is as important as, as um, supporting them if they do disclose. But from speaking to, um, to experts and agencies as we develop the guide, the key message was, which I always heard was that GPs need to be confident in asking about domestic abuse. Um, we have to, be, to frame the question and be willing to ask the question. Domestic violence has been identified at all levels of society, but GPs are aware of high-risk situations and there are situations which they are more likely to ask the question. For example, 30% of domestic violence and abuse commences in pregnancy. Depression and anxiety are common presentations and people suffering with addiction, homeless families and minority groups such as the LGBT community are very high risk. GPs, as we say, are encouraged to ask the question. Um, and it can also we in the guide we provide an example of questions you can ask and often it can be as simple as how are things at home is your relationship good we also highlight barriers and facilitators to 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 recognizing um, domestic abuse in general practice and it's important for us all to be aware of this as we engage in our work um, we're aware that lack of training discomfort amongst GP practice staff in discussing domestic violence and abuse or a lack of time. You know, there are 30,000 consultations um, undertaken by GPs every day. We deal with a multitude of, um, of issues and including domestic violence in that um, is, is it, you know, time issues can be a problem. Um, there are concerns about privacy sometimes. Um, so often if patients will attend with others or they may attend with an interpreter that might be a friend. And sometimes it's not appropriate to ask the questions in these situations. And GPs require knowledge on how to ask about domestic abuse and we, we hope that this guide will address these concerns. We are aware of barriers to disclosure among patients, fear of their children being taken away from them, being judged in a negative way, feeling guilt, shame or embarrassment, or sometimes not even realising that what is happening to them is actual abuse. Um, and sometimes it can be an inability to perform or to recognise their GP as a trusted healthcare professional or um, that they're maybe concerned that GPs aren't capable in managing domestic abuse. But I suppose what we want to make clear today is that your GP is a trusted uh, healthcare professional and that they are competent in managing domestic violence and abuse. Uh, the, this ICGP guide provides advice to ensure GP practices are inclusive and promote recognition of domestic violence and abuse. We encourage GP practices to be involved in training, to display um, domestic and violence and abuse um, posters and leaflets in their practices, to consider having champions within the practice, so uh, in choosing a practice team member 
who is a champion for domestic violence and abuse <coughs> in your practice so that you can go to a member of your staff if, 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 if a patient discloses um, and considering inviting members of the DVA services to talk to staff members. Um, a key issue that, has, uh, that came up in all our webinars and our talks has been um, you know, ensuring that the practice inc is inclusive, that patients feel it is a safe place, um, and that for minority groups that may, there may be a language barrier, that the availability of interpreters is, is very important. Um, we know Women's Aid provides a service for GPs, but you know, GPs need, need interpreter services in their practices, and this is a key issue. So I'd like to thank everyone who's been involved in, in developing the guide, um, and I hope that it will have a positive effect on the management of domestic violence, abuse, and general practice. Thank you, Noreen. And now to close proceedings, I would like to call uh, the chair of the ICG board, Dr. John, John Farrell, to say a few words. Uh, thank you, Fintan. Um, first of all, this is a really important day for the college, the launch of another quick reference guide. I'd like to thank sincerely the Minister for her presence today and taking time out for her busy schedule to be with us and to uh, lend her support to the launch of this guide. Uh, I would also like to thank the HSE for funding this initiative. We've developed a really good relationship with the HSE over the past 12 months or more and this is another um, example of the close cooperation between ourselves and the HSE. Quick reference guides have become a really important educational reference tool for general practice as the breadth of work that we undertake becomes more and more complex. Um, as we've previously mentioned, GPs are now responsible for nearly, and their practice staff are responsible now for nearly 30 million consultations every year with patients all over the country. And I think that it's really important that we note that GPs provide a safe space to discuss any issue of concern, and particularly referencing domestic violence and abuse that we're focusing on today. Um, I hope that the advent of this guide, I'm sure it will um, prompt discussion of this serious issue, uh, which is a societal issue, uh, takes place in all communities, and it's something that we need to be aware of, and that the, the patients will feel comfortable discussing this with their general practice, with this uh, new guide, and with some of the key points that it makes uh, to an, an education viewpoint. Uh, I'd lastly like to acknowledge the work of Velma, Noreen, and all our colleagues in the ICGP who've worked tirelessly to produce this guide, which I think is a huge uh, benefit to general practice. And this, all, uh, this work has taken place despite the extra workload imposed by the pandemic and the increasing workload issues in general practice. So again, sincere thanks to the Minister for being with us here today and to thank everyone for their work in this regard. And I'm delighted to, um, to um, say that we are really pleased as a college to produce this guide and hope that it will be of great benefit to our patients and to wider society. So thank you all for being here with thank us you. today. That was the college's chairman, Dr John Farrell, ending this episode of GP Works. The Guide for GPs on Management of Domestic Violence Abuse is available from the college and on the college's website, icgp.ie. Do subscribe to GP Works to ensure you get our latest episodes wherever you get your podcasts and follow the college on Twitter and Instagram at ICGP News. I'm Aileen O'Mara and thanks for listening. <laughs>